Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you this morning. So glad that you are here to be a part of things today. I want to welcome those that are with us online again. We're glad that you're a part of things as well as those who are here for the first time. I love it every single week we have people walking in the doors for the first time. We hope that you find this to be a place uh, that's not just an event. We say we're not an event, we're a family. And we're a community, and we want to care for one another. We want to be that kind of a church here. And so we're so glad that you are here. As uh, we get to continue in the series uh, that we have been in throughout the fall that we've just called Kingdom Living, as we are walking through what I would consider one of the most important teachings that we have uh, that Jesus gives. He gives this broad teaching about what does it look like to live in the kingdom of God? What are the values that we have in the kingdom of God? And I would say this for every single one of us. It's great that we show up to church. It's grace that, that we do the duty of coming to church for an hour on Sunday, but it's not about what happens in here. It's what happens outside of these doors. We come here to worship, to gather, to hear from his word. But when we go out these doors, we also have the opportunity to worship and to honor and glorify him by the way we live our lives. And Jesus tells us, hey, this is what it looks like. This is how we need to live. This is what he's calling us to. And so we have an opportunity to, to hear from that. And so this morning's message, Jesus is getting really practical in this series, but he's going to get extremely personal in the, in the text that we're going to be looking at today. And he's going to get very practical for us. I'm going to have a question for you. I want you to raise your hand in a moment. If you can answer yes to any one of these three questions, if you or someone you love has ever been affected by divorce, if you've ever had an impure thought, or if, or if you've ever been angry before, raise your hand, okay? Oh, good. I have a, an audience that's interested in the message this morning. That's really good, okay? There is something for everyone in this message this morning. This is kind of like a shotgun message, not a shotgun wedding. This is a shotgun message this morning. It's going to spray a little wide, and it's going to hit a lot of different places. I think every single person in the room is going to hear something you need to hear this morning, all right? And Jesus is going to challenge us as we walk through this. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. You're going to want your text out this morning because we're going to be walking all over this passage this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Would you stand with me as we're going to read our text this morning? Uh, if you're a guest here, this is just our tradition to say, God, we honor your word over what I have to say. All right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. I'm going to jump around here a little bit, so just follow along. Verse number 21 says this. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jump down to verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jump to verse 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this word. You're about to get real with us on this one. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to honor you today by listening to what you have to say. God, we don't just worship you with singing on the front half. We worship you by opening our hearts to your word and listening to you. And so, God, I pray every single one of us, wherever we're at in life, God, would we worship you by our, our focus this morning, by hearing what you have to say and having open hearts to be responsive to it, Lord. 
God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak very personally to each one of us and speak very specifically to each one of us. Take these truths and affect our lives with them, we pray. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen, amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. Well, i uh, give you some context here. If you haven't been around, maybe you've been gone the last couple of weeks, give you some context to where we're at in the Sermon on the Mount because it's really important based on the passage that we just read. Uh, so we're obviously in this kingdom living, and throughout this sermon that Jesus is giving, he talks about the values of the kingdom of God. What does it look like to live in the kingdom of God? Here's what I expect of people who live in my kingdom. And last week, if you, if you were here, we talked about this idea that Jesus revealed his role, and part of his role was to fulfill the Old Testament. And what the word fulfill means is really important. The word fulfill means to fill up or to complete what was written in the Law and the Prophets or what we know as the Old Testament. And Jesus then goes on to challenge us with this whole idea of this one word, righteousness. He challenges the lady. Righteousness is what my people look like. They pursue righteousness. In fact, back in week number two, we talked that the kingdom people hunger and thirst after righteousness. And now, this, we always say this isn't a word that any of us like to think about, but Jesus says this, for my kingdom people, righteousness is normal. Like, it's not, it's not just for the, the special people or the spiritual people. No, righteousness is something that all my kingdom people pursue and they run after. And then following that talk, which is what we talked about last week, if you missed it, go back and listen to that message. But following that, he, he follows it with six examples of what righteousness looks like. He, he defines, he completes and fills up some Old Testament quotes about righteousness, and he explains that to these people. And so that's what we're going to dig into. And every time you, he, you heard, saw the pattern, he says, you have heard it said, and he defines something that has been shared. He says, but I say this. Over and over again, he says this, and it can feel as, as if Jesus' words are in conflict with the Old Testament. Like, he's quoting Old Testament stuff, but then he's, like, changing it a little bit, or he's clarifying a little bit. And what we have to recognize in this moment is Jesus is filling up and completing the Old Testament. That's what he's doing, all right? He's bringing greater clarity to those areas. And so what we're going to see is Jesus is going to raise the bar in a lot of areas in our life. And so there's a principle. I want you to write this down. If you're taking notes, write this principle down. This is for this week and next week. Whenever Jesus raises the bar, he clarifies kingdom values. Whenever Jesus raises the bar, he clarifies kingdom You can take this principle anytime you see Jesus talking. Every time he raises the bar, he says, hey, I'm, I'm setting the expectations a little higher. Every time he does that, he's clarifying what's important in kingdom values. Now, how many out there would consider yourself to be short? Raise your hand if you would consider yourself to be short. Okay. I have my hand raised. I know you're all surprised by that right now. Okay, I consider myself to be short. Like, I hope I'm 5'7". I don't know if I'm still 5'7", but I believe it in my heart, okay? And that's all that matters. Okay, my wife is 5'1". She used to tell me she was 5'2". I don't think she's ever been 5'2", but she puts heels on and she gets to be like 5'5". Five, five. It's awesome. Okay, we're both short, though. Okay, and I've told you this before. When we met each other, uh, we met in the mailroom at North Central. And I've, I've just, hey, hey, what's up, you know? <laughs> and so... I met her in the mailroom. A friend introduced me. And as a short guy, I vividly remember the thought that went through my mind. I, I saw her and I said, well, she's cute and she's short. <laughs> okay? Because us short guys, we don't got a lot of options, all right? Like, and so I just have to have a moment here to all of you tall men out there. Save the short women for the short guys, okay? <laughs> like we, you know, and all the tall women and the short men said, amen, Okay? 
right? Like my dad, my dad's 6'4". He married my, my mom's five foot. I'm like, what are you doing, dad? Like, geez, you got to save it for the short. We don't have a lot of options. Okay, anyways, that's what we're talking about. So me and Amber, we're short. In our house, in our house, you might, might not be surprised by this, but we have, a, we have some difficulty reaching the top shelf in our kitchen, okay? Like we can't, so if you come in our house and we got to get something on the top shelf, Amber and I are like climbing on the counter trying to get to the top shelf. We can't reach it. So when Jesus starts raising the bar, I start having some PTSD here, okay? Like, oh, no, what if I can't reach this thing? What if he's calling us to a level that I can't get to? And I think every one of us can feel that at times. Man, Jesus, he's setting the bar really, really high. What if we can't reach it? I just want to say this before we dive into this. Is that the gospel does not say simply try harder. And if you try really, really hard, you can, you can earn it. You can prove your righteousness before God and he'll like you. The gospel doesn't say that, okay? So you can set yourself free. The gospel says you could try as hard as you want to and you'll never be righteous enough for him. The good news of the gospel says that he meets you in your brokenness, and he sent his son to die for you on your behalf because your righteousness isn't going to cut it, but his righteousness will. So if you put your faith in Christ, you can receive new life. You can receive salvation. You can receive what you don't deserve. That's the good news of the gospel, but that's not the end of the gospel because you know what else the gospel says? The gospel says, I will put my spirit in you. My spirit in you. You know what it says? It says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And some of you are sitting there and like, woe is me. Like, I know God's calling me to this higher level, but I just can't pull it up. And you got to wake yourself up and remind yourself that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. And those areas in my life where I feel less than, I'm leaning on myself. Instead, I need to say, God, I'm going to step into the power and the authority that you have given me by the spirit of God. It says, I can do all things, what? By my own strength? No, by Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. And so Jesus is raising the bar. He's going to challenge us. He's going to meddle with us here. But I don't want you to hear say, I got to go walk out and try hard. No, you need to lean on the power of the Spirit alive in your life and believe for something greater because you've, been, you've let the enemy beat you down to the point where you thought you got to put up with what you got. And I say, God is saying, no, there is something greater for your life. There's something available if you will allow his Holy Spirit to work in your life and you will lean on him and not just on yourself, okay? So that's what he's going to call us. The bar is going to get raised a little bit today, and it might meddle with us a little bit. But every time the, the, the bar gets raised, Jesus is clarifying what his kingdom is like and what he's calling us as kingdom people to be, all right? And so we're going to actually walk backwards through this passage this morning, okay? We're going to start at the end and work forward, okay? So uh, let's go back to verse number 31. It says, as it has been said... Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, it's clear Jesus is dealing with the topic of divorce, right? That's what he's talking about here. It's very clear. Uh, but I think what's important for you, there's only two verses here. It's hard to really dig a robust understanding out of two little verses here. We have to recognize that when you get to Matthew uh, chapter 19, uh, Jesus kind of digs into this at a, at a deeper level. Just a few chapters later, he, he has a, a bigger teaching on this whole idea of marriage and divorce. And so if you, if you want to have a greater understanding, we're going to kind of jump to that in just a few moments as it gives a, a more complete picture for us. Uh, but I want to say this before I just share just for a moment on this topic. I know that divorce uh, for many of us can be very personal, okay? I know there's people in the room, personally, you've experienced divorce. 
I know there's some of you that someone that you care about, maybe it's parents, maybe it's grandparents, maybe it's friends that have experienced divorce. And if you've been in any way connected to divorce, you know the pain, the trauma, the sadness, the brokenness that comes from that. And you will understand what Jesus is trying to say here as well as anyone, okay? And, and I do just want to say this, that if you've experienced that, we understand that we serve a God of redemption, amen? We serve a God that no matter what you have walked through, God can bring healing, he can bring peace, he can bring pain, and he can take something beautiful from what was once ugly, all right? But Jesus here is, in a moment, confronting this idea of divorce. Now, why is he doing that? Because at this time, historically, divorce had gotten absolutely out of control. It was crazy. The bar was so low when it came to what constituted a reason to have a divorce, all right? That's where we were at in this time. There were multiple views. Even you would think, oh, but the religious Jews, wouldn't they have a high view of it? No, they didn't. The bar was really low. In fact, there were multiple views of what constituted divorce. And one of the major views, the most prominent views, basically said that you could be extremely lax when it came to this idea. That a man could divorce his wife for anything he deemed unseemly. And you might say, well, what is unseemly? Whatever the husband decided. So it meant, hey, wife, burn dinner tonight. I can divorce her. Say, I don't like her cooking anymore. I can serve her divorce. You know what? She isn't good enough looking for me anymore. I can divorce her. Now, that's a disgusting right, view of marriage, isn't it? Like, I, I think it's degrading. I think it's demeaning. But this is where things were at. And Jesus is saying, listen, <laughs> your bar is not in the right place <laughs> when it comes to this thing. You put the bar so low that it's actually corrupted something. And so what Jesus does is he raises the bar on divorce and in turn clarifies the value of marriage. That's what he's pointing at. That's what he's trying to get us to, to, to guide us to. Their looseness on divorce had proved that they thought so little of marriage, they didn't think it mattered at all. But Jesus, in chapter 19, this is what, if you want to turn there, you can. Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, Jesus says this. He's talking about marriage again. He says, haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning, the creator, this is God, made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. See, they were functioning like marriage was just a temporary contract. And Jesus is trying to remind them, listen, it's much more than that. This is a sacred union. This is a big deal. How many would would say that we probably have a similar issue in our culture today, right? The bar is pretty low when it comes to marriage, isn't it, right? Man, we have a huge value on weddings, don't we? Real low bar on marriages, right? Like, I, I love it. I mean, weddings, I love a party. That's fine. That's great, you know, and I'll have couples that'll come into me, and we're getting ready for a wedding and all this kind of stuff, and they're just jacked up about all the stuff, and they got the plans and all the things, and they're going to have things exploding. It's just going to be an amazing, amazing wedding, and I just have to say, listen, I'm not that excited about your wedding. Like, I, I'm glad you're having a wedding. That's great. I don't care as much about the wedding. What I care about is a marriage at the end of this thing. Because whether you spend five bucks or you spend 50 grand, at the end of this thing, the only thing that endures is a, is a marriage. And it matters, and it's valuable, and it's important. And Jesus is reminding us we have to treat it as such. 
We can't treat it like the rest of the world. My kingdom people treat marriage different than the rest of the world does. The rest of the world doesn't really care. The bar's low, doesn't matter. This is just we're in it, out of, no, it's temporary, not a big deal. But my people value marriage at a much deeper level because they know it means much more than what the world says. Right? This has enduring value, not just for you, but for families, for generations, for my church community. It matters. This is a big deal, okay? And so Jesus gives this strong word on divorce, and then you say, you know, he gives an exception here. He gives, you know, you can divorce if there's sexual immorality, and that's, a, that's kind of a clear teaching throughout all of Scripture. Uh, if you go into the New Testament, Paul gives another exception, and there's some other things, and I don't have time to get into all that. We're going to address that at a, on a different time, kind of walk through this at a deeper level. But what I think we have to understand if we're going to grab that nugget is this, is that Jesus is really trying to point us to the value of marriage. This thing matters. We need to take it serious. Like, it affects you. All of you who've experienced divorce, you know it better than anybody else. Marriage matters. There's huge impacts. And so we have to take this thing seriously. And God's desire, Jesus is talking, like my kingdom community, like us, when people see our marriages and our families, they should see something different than the world. Like in the world, they might see division and hatred and anger and all those things. But when they look at my kingdom people, they should see a deeper commitment. Ones that say, you know, we're in this thing through thick or thin. No matter what happens, we are in this thing. We're going to fight for marriage. We're going to fight for our love. We're going to do everything we can for one another. That's what he wants to see. Does that mean that marriage is easy? No. And all the married people said, amen. Like it's not easy. I love my wife and it's not easy. It's hard work. And Jesus said, yep, it is. Dig in. This thing matters. The two become one flesh. It's not just an eating. You've got to fight for this thing. You've got to lean in. You've got to pursue this thing. Why do we, there are so many marriage resources out there. Why? Because it's hard and it requires us to work. Young people, don't think one day, oh, I'll get married and it's just going to be. No, even if you marry the love of your life, it'll be hard some days. But guess what? Kingdom people, fight for it because this is what matters. He says this is valuable for us, every single one of us. We have marriage ministry here at the church available. Go on our website if you need it. There's, a, there's steps that you can take. Some of you are in that place where, you, man, my marriage is struggling right now, but you're not doing anything about it. And I would say this, that, that if, you're, if your marriage is struggling and you're in a, a weak spot and it's only getting the leftovers, your marriage is in some serious trouble. Like if you're only giving it the leftovers, if you're not focusing, if you're not giving it the attention it needs, your marriage is in serious trouble, whether you realize it or not. He's saying, hey, this is valuable. This matters. And so some of us need to be shaken up a little bit, okay? Are we leaning into this area? Are we living out what God is calling us to, okay? We go on to the next section. We're going to back up a little bit to verse number 27. Verse 27 says this. <clears throat> you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So right here, Jesus is quoting the Ten Commandments. You know, it's this moment. It's easy to think Jesus, what, is he contradicting the Ten Commandments? That seems like a little over the top. But Jesus is saying, no, I'm filling up. I'm making this complete, right? That's what my role is here. And so Jesus raises the bar on adultery. He lifts it not just from the physical act. He raises the bar and includes this lusting after one another. In so doing, he gives us kingdom value number two, and that is purity, okay? Purity. See, their understanding of adultery, their understanding of sexual purity was external and overt. It was, I'm going to do something externally. That constitutes a lack of purity in my life. But, but Jesus is you know, saying, no, it's more than that. 
Because their thought is like, as long as I don't do anything, I'm fine. As long as I don't truly act on this thing, I'm fine. Youth, this past Wednesday night, they were talking about dating and some of those things. And I remember one of the things you said. You said the word technically is not your friend when it comes to dating experiences. What I mean, we didn't technically have sex. That doesn't always work. (laughs) Just ask Bill Clinton, okay? That doesn't always work. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, sorry. Technically, all right. Like, like, just because you, well, uh, well, uh, did I do, okay, hey, Jesus saying, hey, we're, not, we're, we're so much deeper than that. The bar is so much higher than that, folks, okay? Like, we're, we're asking something at a higher level than that, okay? And so Jesus is exposing that righteousness requires a greater level than that. In fact, the, the thing that I find interesting in this is that Jesus, although he, he's calling them to this thing, and, and he's calling them out, He's not even, he doesn't even have to use New Testament language to call out the fact that they're totally off. Because when you go to the Old Testament, you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. What is the call? Love the Lord your God with all of your body. Nope, that's not what it says. It says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Everything. And so when he gave the command that says, don't commit adultery with any of this stuff. And see, they were already overstepping the bounds of what the Old Testament taught. And Jesus is just raising the bar to what it already was. He's completing. He's clarifying. This is where things are at. I'm expecting something greater out of every single one of you. What God's desire for our lives is, is that we would have integrity. 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 What does integrity mean? You know what it means? It means the state of being whole or undivided. So if we're going to have integrity, it can't just mean, well, I'm just not doing anything out here. It has to mean even in here, I've got purity. I'm not just pure in what I do externally. I'm pure in what I think, what I hold in my heart, what I long for. There's purity about all these things. Purity takes more than just behavior modification. It literally takes a heart transformation. And the good news is that's what the gospel promises us, right? The gospel doesn't say just try harder. No, in the book of Ezekiel, it says God promises to put a new heart into us. He will shape. And so as we begin to surrender ourselves to God, God actually starts to change who we are on the inside out. He shapes our desires. I'll see believers, you know, they're they're new to faith, and suddenly they don't want to do the things that they used to do. Why? Because God's beginning to shape their heart and to change their desires. Suddenly they want to do things that they never wanted to do before. I want to be a church. Why? Because God's starting to shape your desires and shape your hearts. That's what he did. But we have to put ourselves in a position where we are pursuing him, where we are close to him, where we are desiring him. See, there's a principle I want you all to write down, and it's this. What you feed grows. Okay, what you feed grows. Okay, I'm learning that in my house because my boys, I keep feeding my boys and they keep getting larger. They're almost bigger than I am already. Okay, it's driving me crazy. But they, they, they keep eating. I find them eating all the time. It's great. And they just keep getting bigger and bigger. This is true in our lives though, for good or for bad. For good or for bad. The good things, in your, if you feed the good things in your life, they'll grow. Whatever it is, you want to pursue Jesus, you want to know him, you want to heart after him, get in his word, spend time in prayer, be around other believers. If you do that, you feed yourself the good stuff, you will grow. That's what's going to happen. But on, on the other side, the bad stuff, if you keep feeding it, it'll grow. You're like, I don't understand why I keep struggling with pornography. Well, you keep going to your room quietly and turning pornography on. That's why you keep feeding the thing that is causing you pain and hurting you. 
You say, I I keep lusting after this girl. You keep being around this girl and giving yourself opportunity. You keep, every time she comes to mind, you don't just turn it off and run away and flee from sexual immorality, as it says in Scripture. Instead, you linger there and keep thinking over and over. What you focus on, what you feed, will grow. And he's he's challenging us. He's saying, you got to be aware here. So you turn to verse number 29. What does he say? We read that we actually taught on this, uh, this phrase a couple of months ago. It was probably six, eight months ago. Jesus says this. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body going into hell. And we're like, that's extreme. And he's like, yeah, I know. I know. But sometimes we got to be a little more extreme when it comes to our purity. Like we got to be, ah, oh, it's okay. Nobody knows about it. Yeah, God does know about it. And he's put his spirit in you so that you could overcome that thing. But if you're going to experience the freedom, it demands you to get serious. And we may need to cut some stuff off. We may need to gouge some stuff out. We may need to make some significant changes in our life. And if this is something that is holding you, God is saying, listen, I got something better from you. You know, just like divorce, sexual impurity, it causes pain, right? Like I've talked to plenty of people that have experienced deep, deep pain because of this, right? It doesn't take a real adultery for you to actually experience deep, deep pain. And God's saying, listen, I want something better for you. But you have to get serious about it. We can't mess around with this thing, all right? So you go back to the first section. We'll go to verse number 21. It says this, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. I don't have time to dig fully into this passage. uh, But even at face value, this passage feels a bit extreme, doesn't it? Like if I'm angry at somebody, like I'm in danger of hellfire, like, okay. That feels a bit extreme, Jesus. Um, but what you have to understand is understand it in context what's actually being talked about here. Because Jesus was angry. If you read passages, there were passages where Jesus, so what he's not talking about is the emotion of anger in this moment, okay? That's an emotion. We sometimes have that emotion, okay? Uh, there, there's actually a passage in the New Testament where it says, in your anger, do not sin. There's a difference between anger and sin. And so what we have to understand is this isn't a righteous anger that's felt that he's talking about. No, instead, it's an unrighteous anger that is held against another person. Okay, and there's a difference between those two things. And it might feel like, man, Jesus, you're, you're, you're drawing a kind of, that's a really wide step between anger and murder. Like, you're, you're saying murder is the same as being angry, unrighteous anger. It's something like that's a little over top, but hear this. Understand this. No one's had an affair physically that hasn't already had an affair in their heart and mind. And I think Jesus is just drawing the line that says, listen, nobody's murdered someone who hasn't already harbored anger and hatred in their heart. And so he's saying, check this first so you never get to that. And I think the same, just like the adultery side of things, it's the same over here. Check this because I, I want to watch your heart. I want to get a hold of you in some way. So Jesus raises the bar on anger, and what he does is he clarifies the value of reconciliation. Reconciliation. Why do I say that? Because we go to the very next passage. What does he say? Verse 23 says this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, what does that mean? 
You're like in a worship service, like you're bringing your gifts to the Lord, you're honoring and worshiping God. There you do that, okay? Therefore, if you are offering your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So he gives us a practical application. He's saying, listen, it's not just like don't kill people or don't be angry. He's saying, no, I want you to be the type of people who pursue reconciliation in every area of your life. And he's saying this is a really, really big deal. He's saying if there's something funky going on in one of your relationships as kingdom people, you should be the first one to go try and deal with it. You ever have those kind of things? You're like, oh, things are awkward, and I just don't want to talk to that person. You ever had that happen before? And so you just avoid them. That's normal. Like, that's what most people do. Kingdom people don't do that. Kingdom people are those who pursue reconciliation. They go after it. And what I love is the level to which he is asking us to do this. We say, even if you're in the middle of worshiping me, you're in the middle of worshiping me, you're like, but that's the most important. Worshiping God is the most important thing. He's like, even if you're in the middle of worshiping me, stop and go deal with it. What does that mean? He's saying, listen, one of the best ways you worship him is by loving your neighbor as yourself, pursuing reconciliation, doing the thing. These things are tied to one another. You can't sit and say, I worship you, God. I love you, God. And I go around and I'm making a disaster of every relationship out here. Oh, but I worship you. No, no, no. That's not how this works. These are tied together. Okay? And you say, no, you've got to go pursue that. But here's what I love, the, the challenge in this one. Because all of you are like, yeah, if I'm mad at somebody, you know, maybe some of you are confrontational. How many of you would consider yourself mildly confrontational? Just naturally. Anybody? There's a few of you out there, right? There's some of us. We can be that way, some of us. Some of you are like, when somebody does something to me, like, I got no problem telling them, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. I'm going to let you know I'm mad right now. Some of you, that's like normal and natural for you, okay? But hear this. It says, no, go back, sorry. And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. It's not that you got something against somebody else. You got to give them a piece of your mind. But if you have a moment where you recognize, you know what? Somebody is, has something against me. I might have offended somebody else, and they're harboring something. If you have that revelation, who's, who's the onus on? Me. As a kingdom person, to say, God, I'm going to go pursue reconciliation here. I'm going to do something. I'm like, it's easier for me to just leave it out. Let them worry about it. That's their problem, not my problem. But you say, no, kingdom people pursue that type of reconciliation. So that's why I wrote down this phrase, which I think is challenging for all of us. It's this, proactive, radical reconciliation. Proactive, radical reconciliation. God's calling us to this, that we don't sit around like, I hope things get better, right? I'm going to do it when it's convenient, when it's easy. No, he's calling us to be people that look different than the world does, that we're pursuing it. And I'll, I'll tell you this, this past week, I've been studying this passage, and Jesus put his thumb on my heart in an area. He said, there is a situation, Greg, where you think and you know somebody's frustrated with you and you haven't dealt with it yet, and this week I'm going to deal with it. Actually, I said, that's their problem. No, Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to a deeper level, that you would pursue this, proactive, radical reconciliation, that you would be one who pursues to live at peace. As far as it's up to you, you live at peace with everyone around you, okay? And so I want to get to our big so what. We always say, so what? What's the point of this thing? This morning it's this, kingdom people reflect kingdom values. We reflect kingdom values. Here's the problem in the American church is that more often we reflect cultural values than kingdom values. 
Why do people say, oh, I can't stand the church? Well, they look just like the world does. <laughs> We're just as crotchety at times. We don't share the love. We don't care. We're not those who are pursuing peace. We are not as forgiving as, you know, we're, we look just like everybody else. And, and, and I think Jesus would say, no, my desire is that us as kingdom people, would we raise the bar? Would we step up? Would we stop saying, oh, I'm going to try my hardest on my own? Instead, would we step into the power and the authority that's been given us by the power of the Holy Spirit to say, God, change and radically transform me, that I would look more like your kingdom than the kingdoms of this world. That when I walk around, people would recognize a difference inside of me. God, would you call me to that level? That's what he's asking out of every single one of us. So I want to bring up the list that we talked about earlier. And I would say, where is God calling you at a deeper level? Maybe where is he challenging you? Could it be in your marriage? Where are you at in your marriage? Is it possible you're in a place where you're like, you know what? I'm married. <laughs> but honestly, I haven't been giving it much attention, much focus. We're here. We're, we're okay. We live in the house together, but we don't really love each other. We don't really care. We don't speak real kindly to one another. We don't look like kingdom people. We look like pretty much every other marriage in the country. And maybe God is just saying, you know what? Maybe you need to raise the value of that in your home. Maybe you need to do something different than you've done. Maybe you need to lean into that area like you haven't been. God wants something greater for us. His desire is to not just raise the bar, say, oh, do this, don't do this. His desire is to raise the value. Say, this matters. And I would say, in turn, this whole idea of marriage ultimately really is submission to God's plans. See, marriage was his idea. Are you willing to listen to God's plans and God's ideas? It's possible some of you are single right now, and you've kind of been sleeping around because you're like, ah, marriage isn't that big of a deal. Maybe God's saying, hey, you need to get that under control. You need to pursue God's plan and his ways in your life. I get to this value of purity. Now, this is an area where the enemy will bring heap pounds and tons of condemnation onto anybody who's struggling. If it comes to issues of pornography, it comes to issue of, you know, thought life and all those kind of things. The enemy will pour that on you, but the result is that you end up staying stuck in your sin. And I would just challenge you, and I'm going to, I know that I, I, you know, pornography and that, those types of issues, sexual impurity is, is something that's a broad issue, but I want to talk to the men for a second. Sin, the enemy wants you stuck. He wants you stuck there. He doesn't want you to seek help. He doesn't want you to get a brother in Christ. He doesn't want you to be honest with somebody else. He doesn't want you to have anybody holding you accountable. He doesn't want to have anybody cheering you on because he knows if he gets you stuck, he can ruin you. He can ruin your marriage. He can ruin your family. And so God is saying, listen, would you lean in? Would you recognize this value? Would you step in and allow my spirit to do a work inside of me? Would you pursue, go get some help, get some other brothers of Christ around you to lift you up? Would you do those things? Like, we need that. Where are you being honest? Because God's calling us to a higher level. There's freedom available for you, but we have to be willing to step into it. The last area is reconciliation, value of reconciliation. Is there a broken relationship somewhere in your life where you've just said, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to go there. Is it easier to not go there? Possibly. Is it what God's asking of us? No. He's asking us for proactive, radical reconciliation, that we would be those who pursue. And guess what? You're going to do everything you can, and guess what? At the end of it, you still may not be perfectly reconciled because it takes two people, right? It takes two people. But as far as it's up to you, have you pursued reconciliation? You've done what you can to pursue reconciliation. When Jesus talks about these kingdom values, what I love is that he's also calling uh, or 
not expecting something of us that he hasn't already done for himself. Because I think about Jesus. Who is Jesus? You know what we're called? The bride of Christ. And he's been committed to us despite our unfaithfulness, despite our brokenness. You know what it says about Christ? He says he was the pure, spotless lamb. He was tempted in every way, but yet did not sin. And because of his purity, his perfection, his righteousness, his sacrifice actually saves and redeems us. And our Jesus was one who pursued reconciliation. Why? Because, because he needed no, we needed it. And he came after us. He ran after us. He pursued us. That's who our God is. That's what kingdom living looks like. And he's just saying, listen, I'm inviting you into my kingdom to live like I do. See, kingdom people just look like their king. That's it. Like we just look like our king. And so God, would you help us? Would you shape us? Would you empower us by your Holy Spirit to live differently? God, would you shine a light in the areas of our life where we've gone off the rails and we just live like everybody else? Instead, God, would our marriages, God, would, would our purity, would our desire for reconciliation, our relationships look different because we are functioning as kingdom people? Would you do that in our hearts? I'm going to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes across the room. I want you to give the Holy Spirit just a moment in your own heart to respond. As you, I'm going to leave these three things on the screen. If you forget what they are, you can look up for it. But would you just say, Holy Spirit, is it, what's an area that maybe you're, you're shining a light on in my life? God, where you're calling me. Maybe it's an area. Maybe it's my marriage. I just need to, I need to lean in there. Maybe I need to raise the, the value of purity in my life. There's just some things where I've just allowed impurity. Um, I need to raise the value of reconciliation pursue peace with some people that maybe I have broken relationships with. We just ask the Holy Spirit to make it clear in your own heart and give you a moment to allow Him to speak. an area that you want to surrender to Jesus, I just invite you to do something physically as a symbol of what's going on in your heart. Just put your hands out in front of you and say, God, here's me. Put your hands out in front of you and say, Jesus, this is that area of my life, God. God, I surrender. Whatever it is, Lord, whatever you've spoken to hearts, Lord, I pray that across this room, every single person who's needing to lay something down, God, I pray that you would receive that thing. And God, I pray that they would see freedom in that area. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, they're not just going to do it under their own strength. They're going to have to do some stuff, but God, your spirit is going to empower and begin to shape and form their heart in a new way. God, I pray for marriages that are stuck, that are broken right now. God, I pray that there would be healing in the name of Jesus. I pray there would be victory in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that it, it, it may not be a, a week, it may be years, but God, I pray a new journey would begin today in homes, Lord, that homes would look different because of surrender to Jesus. God, I pray for areas of purity where there has been strongholds. God, people stuck in the bondages of sexual impurity, pornography, whatever those addictions are. God, I pray that there would be freedom in the name of Jesus. Would there be a breaking in the name of Jesus? God, I pray that they would take radical steps to cut off the stuff that's breaking them, to cut off the things that are hurting them. God, that they would take practical steps in your name, Jesus. Would you do that, Father? Would you set them free, Lord? God, may they live out the freedom that you have for them, God. And God, I pray for reconciliation. I pray for relationships. There may be relationships in this room that they people have just given up. They said there's 
no way it's ever going to be reconciled. God, I pray that you would do the miraculous. Father, that you would do miracles in hearts and set people free to actually experience the same powerful reconciliation that you brought to us. God, I pray that we would just see that take place in this room. And God, that it would impact and it would be a witness to a world around them. God, that it would be a witness to a lost world that kingdom people experience something better than the world does. So God, I pray that you would do that in our hearts, in our lives, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord God, we just, we thank you, Lord, that you have something better for us. God, I pray this week you'll help us to live this out. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Man, I'm going to put something on the screens here as we close. And this is the, the challenge for today. Here's the challenge. Cherish it, cut it off, or deal with it. Okay? Your marriage, purity, or reconciliation. Whatever it is. It takes a step. We can talk, oh, I just want to be reconciled. Yeah, you want to be reconciled until you have to actually do something. <laughs> like, I want purity until it means you got to actually do some stuff. Okay? I, I want to I have a good marriage. Well, that means you're going to have to wake up tomorrow and, like, work. Like, lean into it and invest, okay? That's what God's calling us to. Amen.